welcome to the Experto Crede podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Loison, online editor of the Minnesota Law Review, Volume 107. Today with me, I have Helen Winters, note and comment editor of the Minnesota Law Review, Volume 107, and we're going to be discussing her published note, An Unreasonable Expectation of Privacy, Analysis of the Fourth Amendment When Applied to Keyword Search Warrants. Thanks so much for being on the podcast with me today. I'm really excited to be talking about your piece. Thanks for having me. Before we start, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about your note topic and argument. Uh, yeah, so my note is about the Fourth Amendment when applied to keyword search warrants, um, and that's a type of reverse search warrant, which is kind of new to Fourth Amendment jurisprudence, but it's a warrant where the police first ask for um like large groups of information. So for example, for the keyword search warrants, um, they'll ask for large swaths of like anybody who searched any given term or terms at any given time in any like given location. And then from there, they whittle it down to one suspect rather than like starting with the suspect. So that's why it's called reverse. Um, And my note addresses the keyword reverse search warrants, which is a subset of that. Um, And basically what it's about is the current Fourth Amendment jurisprudence doesn't necessarily cover these new techniques. So it falls under the third-party doctrine exception because that data is held by third parties. Um, But it also technically falls under the protection of the Fourth Amendment. Um, And my note kind of analyzes that through the most recent case, Carpenter, um, and talks about how this hole leaves lots of different technologies able to be used by law enforcement and that a legislative solution is needed. I thought your note was super interesting. Can you talk a little bit about your process for coming up with your idea and what motivated you writing about the Fourth Amendment and the keyword search warrants? Um, Yeah, so I've always been interested in like IP and technology, but I'm not going into patent law. So I wanted to really kind of address that with my note. And I looked into new like technological ideas when I was coming up with my note topic. And I initially pitched geofence warrants as my topic, but one note had just come out on that. Um, So I was talking with my NCE when I was a staffer, and she suggested that I look into this topic. Um, So I did, and I didn't really know my angle. And then my advisor suggested I look at Carpenter. Um, so after looking at that, I kind of decided to merge the two of them together. And that's where my note came from. And what was the most interesting and difficult part of the research process? Um, I think so. I hadn't taken uh, criminal procedure before I wrote this note. I never really intended to write a criminal procedure note. And then it just sort of happened. Um So I think the hardest part was kind of like teaching myself all of that and making sure that I was doing that part of it justice and that I wasn't missing any actual like legal analysis or saying something wrong. So there was a lot of back and forth between me and my advisor on like what was important, what wasn't, like if like I was going to address probable cause at all or just kind of cabinet just like this initial part of um, the analysis. And it was really hard to kind of get through that research block but then once I figured it out a little bit more it was a lot easier um because the part that I didn't need that background for was like the actual keyword searches and um the third party doctrine and all of that something that really struck me in your note is you talk about how searching for an address for Planned Parenthood could potentially be incriminating um just with the new laws that have come out and with this um keyword search warrants um this paper this part of your paper really struck me um because 
There is this sort of implication that the use of reverse keyword search techniques could be used as a preventative measures measure potentially in the future rather than sort of something after the fact, after an obvious crime or a crime has been committed. What do you see as some of the consequences of this type of um, reverse keyword searching if it's not addressed, um, like you propose in your in your note? So I think the most obvious, like pressing consequence and kind of going back to your question is about the abortion cases and like those kind of rights post Dobbs. A lot of legislation since that case has come out um, that's been pitched um, in like state legislatures has come up with that. A lot of amicus briefs from different civil rights groups have come out like speaking against the use of keyword search warrants simply because of like their potential for like abortion cases. And so I think that's like really exemplar of the issue. Um, We've heard of um, women who have the potential to get pregnant, like, deleting their period tracking apps immediately post-ops out of fear of, like, digital privacy concerns um, and just that, like, tracking of their cycle could be used against them even though um, there's not necessarily, like, any actual evidence of abortion, like, simply from a period tracking app. And so I know that that's definitely a concern. Um, But turning back to, like, search histories, it's already been used to convict pregnant women for the death of their fetuses uh, in cases that involve, like, more than just an address. So say, like, you search for the name of an abortion drug online um and they're already like there's some speculation that that woman might have gotten an abortion and so then they use that search data to show like she was thinking about it and imply like different kinds of intent and like mindsets i think that that's really dangerous um and i'm sure in like certain areas there's a stigma around like just going to a clinic so if you were to search an address like i suggest in my note then i think that would hold a lot more weight than in other areas, which is also dangerous because, you know, like Planned Parenthood provides so much more than just abortion. So if you're just assuming that search is related to clinics immediately means an abortion, um, it makes it so much harder for them to get, like the health care they need. And like in the Seymour case, the crux of the evidence um, and the motion to suppress is like simply just on the address of the home where the arson occurred. So I think that shows like it's not too much of a stretch to assume that. But I mean, at this time, like there's not a lot of cases that show like just like that one search can do that so I think it just like depends on like how big the use of keyword search warrants gets but it is interesting I looked this up Google recently released data showing that two of the three states that lead the nation in like geofence warrants which is another type of reverse search warrant were Texas and Florida which are like some like the biggest anti-abortion states so it like signals they're not afraid to use the kind of methods so I think it'll be something to watch. And we'll talk a little bit more about what your note suggests, um, but hopefully what you suggest would kind of help curtail some of those pretty big impacts um, Mm -hmm. that are potential and somewhat happening now as well, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned. Um, Something that I was thinking about when when reading your note is, do you see a potential for people who are very technologically savvy or who understand how to mask their IP addresses being able to escape these warrants and then just kind of you mentioned that innocent people who are not the direct kind of purpose of those searches would then be the only ones kind of at issue in those warrants. Um, is this something that you encountered at all or is there something that has been mentioned at all in kind of the research that you did? Yeah, so I don't actually really, I didn't see much discussion of use of like VPNs or proxy servers, which are the two main methods you could use to 
disguise your IP address, which I think is interesting because I feel like VPNs are pretty common to use, especially in like a workplace setting. So maybe the assumption is that people aren't using them on their personal devices and definitely probably not on their phones. Um, but there are still downsides to those protections, like the proxy server. So the way that works, it's like if I were to log on to a proxy server on my laptop, my laptop has an IP address and then the proxy gives like a fake IP address that the server itself has. But it'd still be trackable. It would just be like on the IP address of your proxy. You know what I mean? So like there's like a little bit, you're still trackable. I don't know like how I'd be able to link that to you. But if you were to log into your personal like accounts on that proxy, then they could link it. Um, I think VPNs are definitely the best option to protect yourself because it doesn't have that association. I honestly haven't seen like a lot of discussion on it, but I'm sure it'll come up. Mm -hmm. For sure. And then kind of off of that, do you think that it would be then possible for this reverse keyword searching to implicate just people who are innocent just by randomly searching maybe something at issue? I'm I'm kind of thinking of doing some legal work. I research some pretty weird things on Google mm -hmm. um, when I'm trying to <laughs> come up with arguments or defend clients or anything. And um, I'm sure there's the potential that I come up in some of these searches just because of what I'm searching for work. Um, do you see that as a potential in the future? Yeah, I think you could definitely get in on probably like the first step of a keyword search warrant when they want like everybody who searched like certain terms or addresses. If you just like, like say you're working like literally on the case and you're one of the people that searched whatever they're looking for in the case, like obviously you're going to turn up there. But I think that you'd probably get, if you were a lawyer like in that instance, you'd probably get thrown out eventually of like that group and you eventually they'd say like, okay, like now that I'm going to get more information on like this searcher maybe they're not the person I'm looking for so I don't necessarily know if you'd be like go so far as to be convicted uh but you're definitely not completely out of the pool in your note you mentioned um the idea that a lot of people are concerned about third parties getting access to their information mm -hmm. but they're not nearly as concerned about the government having access to that information and mm -hmm. then not connecting this third party giving information to the government, which is what part mm -hmm. of what you're discussing in your note. Um, and then you mentioned, as a lawyer, you could be part of that first pool mm -hmm. of potential people um, whose information is seized in these warrants. Um, do you think that that is what people would be concerned about in general? Or what do you see as the concern people should have with the government getting their information from those third-party sites? I think that people just don't, necessarily realize like how closely related the two are you know like you don't learn about the third party exception really until you're like in law school and like taking criminal procedure or like researching a note or something like that like I had no idea that like you didn't necessarily need a warrant to get information like from like your phone company and like I know it's been recently an issue where people are saying or er, where police are asking for people's phones to be unlocked um to get information in that way. And people are obviously very concerned about that, but I don't think they're making the connection that like a similar thing can be done, maybe already has been done to data with third parties. Um, so I think that's kind of like the interesting part of that statistic is that people are so concerned about the government, but they're not realizing that like, it's all kind of the same thing. That makes sense. Um, and in your 
in your note, you focus a lot on the Carpenter factors Mm -hmm. um, and on Carpenter as one of the most recent cases, kind of addressing the third-party doctrine. Mm -hmm. Which of the Carpenter factors do you think is the most important when thinking about reverse keyword searching? Um, I don't know. I kind of thought about this one a little bit, and I landed on, like, the inescapable and automatic collection of it. Um, I think it'd be easy to say, like, depth or revelatory nature is, but... In thinking about it, you have to remember, like, the carpenter factors are analyzed on, like, when the search occurs. And for these, like, technically the search is just the IP address and, like, not, like, the actual keyword data. Like, that's when that initial initial Fourth Amendment search occurs. So it doesn't really necessarily like, apply in the same way. But I think using devices that, like, have IP data, unless you're one of the people that's using, like, the masking technologies, that's really just, like, a part of life. And if the search is where one is one where the IP address is used, um, then that's, like, really inescapable. And that kind of goes back to Justice Sotomayor's quote, which I don't have off the top of my head. Um, But she basically just talks about how technology has really become, like, an inescapable part of life. And to to say that it's not inescapable because you can opt out of using certain technology is, like, to completely ignore how integrated it's become into society so it's really easy to say like no I don't want to give my personal information say like when you're like checking out and they always ask for a phone number and you're like why do I need to give this but you can't buy something or create an account in some cases unless you give that information and sometimes those purchases or accounts are necessary so I think it all and all of that of course is like linked back to your IP address. Um, And so I think that like the inescapable and automatic collection when you're looking at like the stage where the search occurs is most important. And do you see that factor being something that activists can be pursuing in new legislation or also just in briefs to the court if there's these issues kind of coming up? Or do you think that they they should have access to kind of other methods or other arguments that would be kind of just better received? Um... Yeah, I mean, I think that activists wouldn't necessarily be focusing on, like, a single factor as much as just, like, it as a whole. But I think the fact that it is so, like, inescapable and automatic is a powerful tool for activism just because it really does cover everybody. And so um, you can make, like, a lot of, like, really powerful arguments about the implications of such technologies that I think maybe will make their message heard or more impactful in ways where if you didn't, focus on like its broad applicability of what it be. Um, in your note, you talk um, a lot about the People versus Seymour case mm-hmm. and the motion to suppress that came out of um, the keyword search warrant. Has there been a response yet that you've been able to find? I just kind of wanted an update on what's been going on just because it's so new and interesting. Yeah, I found lots of updates for you. <laughs> um, so for background, it's a case in Colorado where arsonists set fire to a house and killed the five people inside. Police engaged in a variety of technology-based search techniques, including multiple reverse keyword warrants. Um, and then a search for the home's address eventually led them to identify the victim. Um So Seymour motioned to suppress the data at the trial level. The district court upheld the legality of the warrant and basically dismissed their motion. Um, But there wasn't any written explanation for the dismissal of the motion, which I think was interesting. And I feel like they're probably trying to not have to write that down. Um, But Seymour's legal team appealed it and it ended up at the Colorado Supreme Court. It's really exciting. Um, There's lots of like amici briefs from various privacy organizations on the case. 
Um, so they're going to weigh in specifically on the use of keyword search warrants. Like, that's the issue that's at the Colorado Supreme Court and whether it violates the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and then also the Colorado Constitution. Um, but I feel like the ruling is probably going to cabinet itself, like, just to the facts at hand. Like, I don't think it's going to be anything major, but it'll still be, like, the first case to rule on it at all. So there are updates. And hopefully it ends up in in a way that your note kind of suggests. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would assume so in Colorado. Like, I think that's probably, like, one of the best states for it to happen in. You talk about in your note about New York um, having, considering legislation that addresses the issues that you're talking about mm-hmm. in your note. What do you think other states who could potentially consider such legislation should look at um, in the future? Yeah, um, so I think New York does a good job of kind of looking at all of the reverse search techniques and not necessarily just one. I think that like piecemeal legislation on like each one individually might result in some like wacky, unsupportable legislation where say like maybe like a geofence warrant has like more hoops to jump through than necessarily like a keyword one and then it would just kind of get into different questions of privacy protections. Um, So I think... Other states, since I have written the note, have also come out with, like, new proposed legislation, and all of them seem to be kind of doing the same thing, where it's, like, this big piece of legislation that covers both, like, all kinds of reverse warrants, and they're all referring to them as just reverse warrants, but then within the bill, it'll have, like, here's, like, a portion for the keyword warrants, here's a portion for the geofence warrants, but the policy behind the whole bill is the same, um... So one example, California is now proposing legislation um, which would prevent California law enforcement from ordering reverse warrants from tech companies. Um, And it would include both, which is interesting because when I mentioned before, like there's three top states that Google came out with that use geofence warrants and California is one of them. So I think it's interesting that now they're doing a turnaround, but a lot of the messaging behind the bill that like the sponsors have been using and then also like the ACLU behind it, has been post Dobbs is why they're coming out with it right now. So I think that makes sense given it's California. Um, and then Missouri is the other one mm-hmm. um, to ban both. And they list like a lot of different ways that a keyword warrant could be used. So it says like the bill would ban reverse keyword search warrants that compel the disclosure of records or information identifying any unnamed person who searched for particular words, phrases, websites, or who visited a particular website through a link generated by such search, regardless of whether it's limited to geographic area or time frame. So I think it's interesting that they're already being concerned about like how limited something might be to be allowed under the bill. They're just outright saying no. Um, And it would also include a process to suppress information gathered in violation of the law. So say, like, you found out that you were implicated anyways, you have um, a right of action in court under the bill as well. So I think that's really interesting and definitely something that maybe California and New York should consider. And that right of action, that would be kind of the first step that you mentioned where everyone's information is collected, or is that if you make it kind of through um, to another step? Um, I would assume it's probably if you make it an additional step, Um, although I guess the whole thing would be outlined on or would be outlawed under the bill. I guess maybe when like more um, specific language comes out, I would look at that, but it'd be interesting to see. 
and because we're dealing kind of with the internet, which is, you know, very movable so broad. and <laughs> so broad and can kind of really easily take place from different states. Um, how do you think kind of the state by state legislation that's happening could impact the type of policing, especially if there are such varying levels of protections in different states? I'm just thinking of potentially something is not allowed in one state. And so it's done in another state instead. I'm not sure. And maybe this is like not a problem at all. And I'm just thinking out loud. Yeah, I don't think it goes like any farther than like any normal like state by state legislation issues. Um I think it might like make people more scared in certain situations. Um not to like harp on it, but back to the abortion example. Um say that you're like searching for the address of an abortion clinic that's in a state that abortion is legal in, but you live in a state where abortion is illegal. And so like the people who are and the police that are searching for it are in like your illegal hometown state, but they see that you search the address in that one, then like maybe that could implicate providers in the state where it's legal. And so then they'd be less likely to help out of state um, patients because they'd be worried that they'd be implicated and charged and like anything like that. Um, and I don't know like the laws behind charging in that kind of way. So like maybe that wouldn't be a problem, but I think like when it comes that would be, like, the biggest issue, I guess. It would be, like, kind of enforceability where, like, one state is it is a crime and one state it isn't a crime. Like, how do you deal with that? How do you think that these state legislations could potentially change the police's relationship with Internet warrants in general and specifically reverse keyword search warrants as well? Um, like, if they're passed... Yeah, well, I guess then they would just not be. Yeah, I guess they would just not do it, but I wonder, like, what they would replace it with. Because I think that, I mean, just, like, technology in general is, like, being so relied upon in court cases and, like, just, like, the law. And that's why I really wanted to do something, like, technological in my note. Um, completely unrelated to, like, reverse warrants, but, like, the Murdoch case, you know, how, like, the big piece of evidence was the video that showed that, like, he was at the scene on Paul's phone. Um, and, like, if you weren't allowed to use that kind of, like, technological evidence, I think, like, so many crimes would go unsolved, which is, like, I don't know. It's hard because it's, like, obviously, like, technology is such an important part of life. So, like, the one side of the coin is, like, yeah, it would be useful to have in some cases. But, like, the other side of the coin, which is, like, what I think my note is about, is, like, it can go too far. So I think maybe if legislation passes, it would maybe force, like, police and, like, lawmakers to consider what else they should be thinking about and, like, what else should be legal versus not legal. And hopefully they'd be finding that balance between kind of those two sides of the coin a little bit more rather than just being totally on one side, like your note suggests. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, if you have, like, all, like, the the, like, the right steps, like, in the Fourth Amendment, you know, like, probable cause and all of that, then, like, sure, yeah, you can, like, use, like, technology and, like, look at things. Um, but the issue with, like, these reverse search warrants is that, like, that's not what's happening. Right. I was definitely really struck when I read your note um, because I think I definitely fell in the camp of people that didn't know that all of that mm -hmm. could be connected. Mm -hmm. um, so is there anything that you want your readers and listeners to take out of your piece specifically or something that they should consider or kind of what next steps they should be taking? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it, like, sounds scary reading it and, like, doing the research. And, like, I think 
when I've, like, shown it to, like, friends or necessarily people who, like, don't come from a legal background and they read it, they're like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm going to go to jail. And, like, you're not. Like, it's, like, the likelihood of that happening is, like, probably pretty low. Like, I don't think it's, like, really, like, at that stage. Um, But I guess, like, when you have the chance, like, use a VPN. Just, like, be careful about, like, what you're searching. And, like, like, I went through and, like, I deleted, like, all my, like, old accounts on things that, like, I don't use anymore because I'm just, like, like, I don't necessarily think it's doing, like, any harm, but, like, I just think it's, like, important to be really careful about, like, what data you're putting out there about yourself, and it's just a lesson, like, you might think that something is private, or you might think that, like, using, like, the incognito browser or something like that is private, but, like, it's not. I guess that's, like, the biggest thing, but I also think it's, like, it's very unlikely that it's going to go as far as, like, some of the examples in my note. Oh, great. Thanks so much for joining us today, Helen. It was great to chat with you. Thanks for having me. This podcast has been brought to you by the Minnesota Law Review. You can find us on the web at minnesotalawreview.org. Follow us on Twitter at, at Minnesota Law Rev. Subscribe to Experto Crede on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or via your preferred podcast application by searching University of Minnesota Law School. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the University of Minnesota, University of Minnesota Law School, or Minnesota Law Review. None of the content should be considered legal advice.